1: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: So yesterday, uh, I'm doing the, uh, the national show, Mike, while these ladies are playing our U.S. women's national team. right? And I'm watching this play out live, live time. And I'm thinking to myself, because it's 0-0, they go to penalty kicks, and I'm like, this would suck if we lose. And then we lose. Um, but I don't know if they played well throughout this tournament. I want to get Jason Longshore's opinion on this as he joins us on the com hotline. Some people say that the tournament kind of set itself up for this moment, Jason, as they were kind of lackadaisical, you know, where they completely focused. Listen, I don't want to make any excuses, but I do want to get your opinion on what you thought went down.
0: Yeah, there's so many different layers to this, and I think a lot of people who are getting into the U.S. Women's National Team conversation, One, just haven't followed the growth of the women's game worldwide. The level is so much better than it used to be. The U.S. can't walk into any international tournament anymore and just expect to show up and win. I don't think this team did. I don't think that was their expectation. But I think it's easy if you haven't followed the growth of the game, even from the last World Cup in 2019, where honestly the U.S. was outplayed in the semifinal by England. They got the result, and they won, but they did not play outplay England in that game. England was the better team on the day. The Dutch have improved since then. England's improved since then, but England this morning has to get through penalties to, to get past Nigeria, who made a great run in this tournament. We've seen South Africa get to the knockout rounds. Jamaica's in the knockout round with two players from the metro Atlanta area, by the way, for Jamaica. Right. You've got so many different teams that are now competitive, the U.S. has to be even better than they've ever been. And while they've improved, they haven't improved at the rate that everybody else has. But in a tournament like this, and look, I feel like we've talked about this a lot over the years, just about this game. You have to create chances. The U.S. did that. They were fourth in the group stage and chances created. That's awesome. They didn't convert those chances. They were 26th in goals scored in the group stage. And ultimately, you can even go back to the Vietnam game. They did not convert their chances enough to make a run in this tournament. And when you're not scoring enough goals, you can be a great defensive team as they were. They only gave up two shots on target in four games. Only two. Mm. How about they're out? It because our, you didn't score enough goals.
3: It's our man, Jason Longshore, uh, with us on the waitfor.com hotline. Because I don't follow the women's game as much as the men's game, i just going by what I'm hearing from, like, the talking heads and Alexi Lawless That's a problem company.
0: sometimes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean,
3: but what I did get from some of the guys that I'm friends with who I sit with at Mercedes-Benz who do follow soccer as much as you do is the team just got old. And the veterans, I mean, this was going to be the last, like, the, the last rodeo for some of these players who are going to uh, be moving on and did retire after the match.
0: Yeah, it's more complicated than that. Um, That is a part of it. I don't want to completely dismiss that because you were in between generations in a way. There's a lot of young players in this team. I I thought Naomi Gurma at center back had as good of a four games at center back as anybody else in the whole tournament. She's going to play in multiple World Cups for the national team. Honestly, and, and I hate to make the comparison, but I think for Atlanta listeners, it's really important. She reminds me of Miles Robinson and the way she plays okay. center back. She can cover so much ground, and she's so good on the ball and progressing the ball forward. She was cleaning everything up in the back. She's a rock star. Sophia Smith's going to be great. Trinity Rodman's going to be great. The young players are coming through and and they're they're here, and this was their first time at this level of a tournament. There were still some old players that are still in the group. I think Megan Rapino wasn't able to contribute even like I thought she could off the bench. Julie Ertz came back and was great in this tournament. Uh, Becky Sauerbrunn was a huge miss with her experience due to injury. What happened a little bit to slow that young group coming through, and you got to go back and remember, like the Olympics are typically the year after a World Cup, so there'll be an Olympic tournament next year. In 2020, that was supposed to be the the goodbye for some of the legends who had played and won in 2015 and 2019. Well, that Olympics tournament got delayed a year. That kind of slowed Blacko Andonovski's, I think, changeover of the the group playing the younger players. He, he lost a year plus in terms of playing younger players and getting them competitive games. Some people maybe stuck around a little bit longer because they played in 2021, and they're like, I can go two more years and play here. I, I think the cycle got weird because of that. It could have been better. I think Vlatko Andonovsky, there's too much criticism of, of him in this tournament because I, I think it's in some people's minds, they're absolving the players and blaming the coach. And that's not true. Doesn't mean that Vlatko didn't get everything or didn't, it doesn't mean that he got everything right either. Right. I think Julie Ertz needed to play in the midfield in this tournament, not in the back. Yeah. It's complicated. And more than anything, it, if you don't score goals, you're not going to advance. And two, the competition's too good for you not to convert those chances now.
3: So was Carly Lloyd right as far as the intensity?
0: No. Uh, I, I, here's here's the issue I had with Fox's coverage of this tournament. And it goes back to, to one moment where I was literally gasping at it because I knew the effect it would have. After the draw with the Netherlands, which, remember, the Dutch were in the final in 2019. 1-1 draw, even game. That was That's fine. That's that's not what you want. Obviously, you want to win that game, but you weren't thoroughly outplayed in that. You had the better of the play. You didn't convert your chances in the second half because you had the dominance of the play. After that game, they're asked about the Portugal game coming up, the last group stage game. If you listened to Atlanta soccer tonight before the tournament started, myself, Jessica Charman, we both said that Portugal game is going to be difficult. Portugal has come a long way in recent years, and they're a difficult opponent because of what they've done in their development. On Fox, the audience was told that that game was not going to be anything to be concerned about. They should not worry about Portugal at all. They beat them 10 times. Portugal's never scored. Mm. That, That tells you nothing about the team that you're about to play. And Portugal could have beaten the U.S. Portugal's a team that's only given up eight goals in their last 13 games. They're a very good team. But when you put that out there and say, well, this team that you're playing is no good, and then it's a scoreless draw, what's your reaction going to be? Oh, the, the U.S. was terrible, which wasn't the case. They, they played a very difficult team. They didn't find the goal to win it. Portugal's a good team. And when we set up this this conversation, and I think it happens during the Olympics too, and I understand it to a degree in that we're not following the rest of the world in, in every sport all the time. So, you know, we're talking about the the U.S. athletes, and that's great. But when we say that the competition's no good and you shouldn't worry about it, and then the competition gets that result, I, I think it sets up a narrative that's not accurate.
2: Jason, what's the legacy of uh, Megan Rapino?
0: An incredibly talented player, an unbelievable player, one of the best players that the U.S. Women's National Team has ever had, someone who has been very outspoken and has made a lot of good things happen in the game and just in general. I think somebody who, as our world is, is going to be divisive. And some people aren't going to like that she was outspoken. And I think that's a shame because as a player, you can go back through so many different memories of her career. And the one that will always come to mind for me is the cross to Abby Wambach in 2011. One of the best crosses I've ever seen hit in that kind of a moment in a game, male, female, I don't care. The ball was unbelievable from her from about 40 yards out on a dime to Abby Wambach with pretty much the last touch of the match to send it to penalties and keep that team alive in 2011. Incredibly talented player. I I think this tournament was one tournament too many for her. And, And yesterday was the example. You bring her in in that moment to turn the game around and to find a breakthrough. And she just couldn't make that happen. It felt like a moment that I would have liked to have seen Alyssa Thompson, the teenager, get that opportunity in, in that moment. Or Ashley Sanchez, a player we didn't see in the tournament, who might have been able to give the team a little bit more then. Right.
3: Now, we're going to talk more about it in guide Talk. Like It's a free country, and she's free to uh, have, have many stances. Because, again, lots of athletes in all sports and walks of life will use their platform to uh, espouse their viewpoints, you know. But – you know, it's also a free country, and sometimes she forgets it is a free country she lives in. That's my only beef with Megan Rapino. Can't do that in other parts in the world. Someone should remind her that. Hey, by the way, let's give hats off to the Swedish goalkeeper. She was unbelievable.
0: Incredible, incredible performance from the Swedish goalkeeper um, Uh Just an unbelievable game. And and look, this happens. You know, if you don't convert your chances, sometimes it's because you're, you're missing the target on a regular basis. In this case. They had a lot of good looks. I like Alex Morgan, who, who got a lot of criticism during the tournament, and I really don't know why she's turned her game around from being based on athleticism to being a hold-up forward and bringing others into the game. She had two huge chances that forced two big saves. It happens, and and this is the thing to me, the legacy of this run for the U.S. Women's National Team is this idea that they are the favorite, no question, and they should win every game that they play against, any kind of a top 20 team in the world. No, the the level is just so much better than it ever used to be. And the U.S. has to develop better soccer players. I, I think the U.S. has developed great female athletes who play soccer. I, I think you have a lot of strength, a lot of pace, a lot of power. You don't have enough tactical know-how. You don't have as much technical skill. And that's what other countries have really focused on. They're developing professional soccer players. And our best players go through college first, and that flows their professional development.
2: Jason, we got to talk about the other thing that I saw over the weekend, and that is this Messi guy's pretty good, isn't he? He's pretty good, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how after uh, Messi did what he did against Atlanta United, everybody's like, oh, Atlanta, oh, Atlanta United, oh. I think they've said Atlanta like 500 times on Apple TV since that game. Well, he's kind of doing it to everybody, isn't he? I mean, (laughs) he's the best player in the world right now, not even just ever. Right. Like right now. So he's done this in France. He did it in the Champions League. He did it in Spain for years. He's that good. And what's impressive is the other guys around him are elevating their game. Mm. And Benjamin Karamaski, the the young Argentine American midfielder who's a teenager, yeah. is a prime example of that. And and that's the that's the thing. But I think you also saw against Dallas last night Okay, as good as Messi is and Busquets and Jordi Alba, that back line needs some work. And there are ways to get goals on the board against them. You just cannot give Messi a free kick anywhere inside of 40 yards. Right.
3: And it's amazing because it's one thing to get that opportunity, but it's, you know, for, this, for the casual fan to bend it like Beckham Messi does. or just I mean, I don't know what the alliteration would be for Messi. I mean, just messy magic, you know. It's just—it's amazing because he steps up and delivers the goods on the on the stage. And Ronaldo's out there in Saudi Arabia; nobody knows where he is, you know. And here's this guy making headlines every night.
0: It's it's crazy. I mean, Ronaldo's trying to tell people that that the Saudi Arabian league is better than MLS, and it is absolutely not. And there are <laughs> millions of people watching these messy moments. I, I mean, right. millions of people worldwide. The subscribers for the Apple TV service, the, the ticket sales, the jersey sales. It's all crazy. I mean, the messy Miami jersey is the most sold jersey in any sport by fanatics for a player moving to a new team. More than LeBron to the Lakers, more than any of them. And it's just it, – it's a special time in this league. It's crazy. And how long can he keep it going? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. But it's going to be a wild ride to the rest of this league's cup.